You're listening to episode 102 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a holistic nutritionist and women's lifestyle coach living in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. And here on the Room to Grow podcast, I bring you thoughts or guests in areas of nutrition, mindset, lifestyle, and entrepreneurship that will help you gain confidence so you can stress less and elevate yourself to create the life you love. We are not here to do things perfectly, but we are here to learn from each other and to grow with lots of self-love and compassion along the way. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast, and I am so excited to have Tori Aletto joining us today. Oh my gosh, so pumped about this one. Tori is a licensed marriage and family therapist, born and raised in New York. She combines her expertise with refreshing vulnerability to inspire growth. And if you're ready to get honest and lean in, make sure to check out her Instagram at nytherapist. We'll reference it in the show notes and we mentioned it a couple times uh, during the episode as well. That was actually how I found uh, Tori was her amazing Instagram account. I highly, highly recommend checking it out. And we cover a lot in this episode. We really dig into some pretty big issues. Uh, One of the reasons why I reached out to her initially was she did a post a few months ago about practicing the pause that I absolutely loved. And I thought that it was just a really interesting way of looking at how it how it comes down to making decisions and being less reactive when we're triggered. So we talk about that. We also talk about how to implement this kind of practice in the heat of the moment, because that can be a little bit more difficult. (laughs) We talk about comparative pain and breaking down the difference between gratitude and just being a martyr, Uh, differences between empathy and sympathy, one of my favorite topics of boundaries, we get into that as well, and examining what we tolerate, both from others, from ourselves, and in our everyday lives. This episode is packed. It's got so much great stuff in it. And Tori was just a fantastic guest. You are absolutely going to fall in love with her and everything that she has to offer. So I highly recommend checking her out. All of the information will be over at roomtogrowpodcast.com for everything that you need. Additionally, I just want to let you know that if you want to learn how to be a really badass podcast guest, (laughs) make sure to also jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com to get my guide that I have available for you. So I've come up with the 14 ways to really stand out in this podcasting world. And that's important because podcasting is becoming more and more crucial to building people's businesses and getting your name out there and all of these different things, getting publicity. It's becoming a lot more common and the space can start to feel kind of crowded and you want to stand out. You want your message to stand out. And there's some really simple things that you can implement right away to make the interviewer remember you and build a really great connection there. Make the listener remember you and want to reach out to you, potentially even work with you. There's so many amazing things that you can do and it doesn't take a lot of effort, but I see some mistakes being made a lot. So I really want to offer you the tools to be an even better podcast guest. So all the goods can be found over at roomtogrowpodcast.com. Jump over there. You can grab your guide and you will be all set. So not one moment longer. We have to get in with Tori. I cannot wait. Let's go. Tori, thank you so much for being here. I am so, so excited for this. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. So tell us a little bit about you. So tell us a little bit about your, your story. I feel like I I know that I kind of ask everyone this, but I'm always so interested in everyone's story and and how, how you got to where you are today and what you do now and, and all of the things that you, that you help people with. 
Yeah. So I am a married, a licensed marriage and family therapist in New York. And I have been doing this for the last 10 years, which feels longer saying than, than I realized, but 10 years. Um, and how did I get there? It's a great question. I think when I, I think I always was one of those people who um, was just drawn to understanding the why things and, and myself and relationships. And I think it always starts with our, you know, our own relationships and our own family dynamics. And then we start to kind of go there. So I was always that person. Um, and then it just ended up translating to the desire for it to be, you know, a career. And I wanted to figure out, you know, there's so many ways to become a therapist. I wanted to find the right route for me. So when I studied or when I kind of got to know what, what systemic work was, um, which is what marriage and family therapists are trained in, it was really naturally drawn to it and um, decided to, to kind of move forward there. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't even think I could think of doing anything else, to be honest. It's so, it's so in me that um, it's sort of just kind of, I just had to find a way to translate it into work. So that's sort of how I found myself there. And then as the years gone by, I've done a lot of different things with it, went different avenues, and worked in different settings. Um, and then I opened up my practice about, let me see, like eight years ago. And, and it's kind of shifted since then where my focus has been. But I, I primarily work with um, adults in, in their relationships and their relationship with themselves and their partners and family. And a lot that kind of goes into that. So yeah, that was a little spiel, but yeah, that's sort of how I got here. I love it. That's awesome. Well, and, and you and I were talking um, before we jumped on too, I was saying how much I love your Instagram. That's how I found you. And yeah. you know how you can bookmark Instagram posts? I'm pretty sure I have like 50% of your page bookmarked. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Thank you. That's like every time it comes up, I'm like, oh, there's another one. Oh, look at that gem. <laughs> <laughs> That's really nice to hear because I have to say that that's been more recent where I poured some energy into it, not really knowing where it would go. Just, just nice, like kind of channeling my creativity into Instagram. And it's really, it's been so nice to connect with people and to kind of really have things that I write resonate. So that, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Oh, good. No, it's, it really is like for anyone who, who is not yet familiar with Tori on Instagram, everything will obviously be, be linked up and we'll talk about this later on as well, but you're over at, uh, at New York, sorry, NY therapist. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's gold. It's a gold mine. <laughs> so everyone needs to go over there. <laughs> Thank you. I want to ask you, tell me more about systemic work. What does that mean exactly? It basically means that we, we, we are a product of our systems. That's sort of how we view it. So when people come in, let's say, and they're saying struggling with anxiety or anger, whatever it is that kind of land people in here, we realize that a lot has to do with the systems around them. And, and mainly what we look at is the relationships they have, um, you know, going back to family stuff and also current family work, and then how that translates into our friendships, into our working relationships, into the relationship, again, that we have with ourselves. So we look at it, we look at work very relationally based, and we kind of work uh, around that. That's fascinating. That's really interesting, actually, because I, I feel like I hadn't quite heard it described that way before. And, and that it makes perfect sense because we often pull so much of our beliefs that we don't even realize are our beliefs that we hold. And then they show up all over the place. And mm -hmm. yeah, then, then we end up with things like anger and anxiety. And we're trying to figure out what the root cause. And that's that's really fascinating that that's kind of how you trace it back. Yeah. I mean, I, I always think, too, I mean, we, we 
sometimes we just don't realize how many things are linked and a lot of a lot of the sort of systems in our lives and, and you know when we feel something that brings us into therapy we don't always know where it comes from and what it's linked to so yeah it's how, it sort of kind of connects all of those pieces um all those dots well and when someone is is learning more about that in themselves and how those types of things are showing up elsewhere something that I originally reached out to you about for this interview was you had done a post about practicing the pause. And I I'm really excited to dig into this because I feel like it ties in so much with anyone who's learning about, about these beliefs that they're holding. They might have to practice a pause <laughs> before mm -hmm. they then show up in a particular way in any relationship. So what does practicing the pause actually mean and why is it so important? Practicing a pause is, is, is it's connecting an emotional, what I call when you feel emotionally stirred, that's the way that I use it. So that's anger, anxiety, reactive, all those different things. When you feel emotionally stirred, if you associate it with a pause, what it's allowing you to start to do is to self-reflect so that you can kind of stop and kind of check in before you decide to respond or self-soothe or whatever it is you want to do with what you're feeling. So it's kind of associating our, you know, our reactions, our, our, our emotional reactions to stopping first, a little stop sign kind of thing or a pause, if there was a pause sign, and, <laughs> um, and kind of just checking in and, and kind of saying, okay, like, what's happening here? Or oh, I know this, all this story that's going on for me. And by doing that, it just shifts from living in this automatic way to sort of living in a more, you know, a way that's generally tied to who we want to be and the values we want to kind of live from and how we want to respond to people and all those different things. So it's very, it's a very um, subtle thing, but it's, it's, it's also very huge and life-changing when we, when we learn how to practice it. I, I think so too. I see so much value in it. And, and the thing is, it's easier said than done. I mean, the first thing that, that comes to mind for me when I think of practicing the pause is like that whole idea of sleep on it <laughs> before you make a decision about something, but that's harder yeah. to do like in the moment of an argument or it's, it's something very personal because say it, you might not even be able to sleep much less be like, okay, peace out. I go have a nap. I'll be back. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so how do we sort of bring that? Yeah. Like in, in a more intentional way it, without, because it, the problem is it, it's in the whole phrase. It is a practice, I think too. Like this isn't yeah. something that we can just start overnight. <laughs> right, right. No, it's something that we can, that makes sense. But then implementing it in our lives is something we sort of choose to do. But the way, the way that I start um, to help people is to, I actually outline it in this way where I'll say, okay, I'll give, uh, actually make a little triangle if I draw it. But I have people start it in a reflective way. So, you know, you have an experience, you have this huge blow up. Then I want you to kind of sit and write it in this way where what was triggering you? What were your thoughts? How are you feeling? And what was the behavior that came from that? And I have people start to log. And again, it's usually afterwards because um, it's right, like you said, it's very hard to implement this in the moment. And again, I have like a side note that I'll mention about that. But we start to just do some reflection. What's going on in these moments? Um, that things are blowing up or, you know, I'm feeling really down or what's happening. And when we start to kind of check in, in the moments where we create time for that, what we notice is the more awareness we have about our functioning, we can start slowly to implement what I, what we would call the pause, right? Into those moments. But the, the big key here is the more aware that we are 
of our bodies and what's going on, the sooner we can do it. Because I, I tell everybody, if you are going from zero to 100, right, and you're at a 10, you are super irrational and there's no way of implementing pauses. You know, you're in reactive mode. But if you notice your body and what it's doing and your emotions at like a four or five, that's when the pause actually can happen and you can actually implement it in the moment. Um, but it's really, you got to start to learn yourself and your body. So I always start in a reflective manner and then we work backwards to try to implement it a little bit more in those hard um, triggering moments. Mm, so good because I, I also just, this has been brought up on this podcast so many times and I just think there's so much value about being more tuned into your body because mm -hmm. there's so much power in it, but a lot of us are so tuned out because we're used to things like constantly uh, distracting ourselves, reaching for social media or, you know, the TV remote and just not paying attention to what's going on inside. And that's a practice too, kind of like yes. figuring that out. So where, where do you kind of start people who come to you and they clearly have no idea, you know, how maybe anxiety or something like that or, or stress is showing up in their bodies? How do you kind of work them through figuring that out to sort of begin this process? In terms of like checking with what their body feels like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what we, we try to figure out is I'll start, I'll start with whatever someone come, like what, what someone's coming in for, right? So if there's an issue in their relationship or they're, they're feeling a lot of anxiety, we'll start where they are. And then we work our way to understanding when you hit the feelings, it's not only emotional, but physically what is going on in your body. Like how does anxiety show up in your body or anger or when you're really triggered, what is going on? And I'll just try to have people and describe it and sometimes when you're talking about things you can feel them again like it, you just feel it because it's raw or it's triggering and if you can kind of start to you know say and I'll give examples like in your chest tightness is it you know we'll try to really get as clear as we can to start to help people connect that body reaction like bodily reaction to um, something you know that they're describing so we really try to just break it down and get to know what it looks like for them it's so interesting because it, um, I, I've talked about this on the podcast before too, but it, it was probably about a year ago. And my therapist said to me one day, she just turned to me and said, where do you feel anxiety in your body? And I just stopped dead. I, there I was know. like <laughs> that long, awkward pause that like every therapist is cool with, but the person in the chair isn't. <laughs> yeah. You're like, okay, nope. <laughs> nope. I can't answer this for you. And I just kind of stared at her and I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know right. how to answer that question like <laughs> it's yeah. so interesting that we're that we're so out of touch with what should be super basic right like that that feels like it should be incredibly beginner level basically right right but we're so i think we're so automatic that when i have people slow down the the triggers thoughts feelings behavior stuff it, we're so automatic we go from one to the other really quickly like we're not checking in with our thoughts or or what's going on in our body or you know we're not slowing down so when we're so in automatic mode it's just everything goes so fast and then we land whatever behavior we're doing and that's what it is so yeah the slowdown and it's weird it's like hard to like sit back and be like well, what what do i feel what does that even mean like what am i looking for it's it's sort of a strange question but it's so it's so helpful when we start to really understand because then that's when we start to connect those things in the moment. It's like, Oh, and I know for me, I have like my, everything's in my chest. Like, it's like, Oh, that's when I know I'm like, mm, that reminds me of the pause. Like when you start to associate those body, those body experiences with a pause, you know, th then it becomes a little bit more of your automatic way of like, Oh, I got to check in here versus like kind of going full force into whatever 
you know, you could go with that. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And, and I mean, that was kind of what I wanted to ask you about as well is how will we know when the pause should be put to use? So other than starting to learn that, that we can recognize some issues happening in our body um, and just being a little bit more in touch with that, are there kind of particular instances or situations? Obviously, it's always going to vary, but do you have anything that sort of stands out to you as it would be incredibly valuable to practice a pause, you know, in this situation? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the most valuable time frame is when we become reactive. And that, again, that kind of goes to the whole like fight or flight when we're like ready to like attack or go or blame or when we're defensive or when we're in the other mode where we just kind of want to numb and check out and ignore or whatever it is, you know, whatever our style of reaction is that's a really important time because that means something's happening and something's being touched on. And the more we react, the more reactive we are, the, usually there's, there's even more in there. So that's a really helpful time period to, to check in and, and pause. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. It, it makes so much sense. And it, it is hard to implement this, but what about actually, this is especially, um, I feel like you're, you're an especially good person to ask because you're are, uh, like a marriage counselor in particular. What about that old saying about never go to bed angry? Because I feel like that could potentially be a good time to pause maybe mm -hmm. and sort of sleep on it. Like, like I mentioned before, but I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? I don't think I buy into that. Um, I get the idea of it. I think it sounds sweet and and is nice if you can get to some sort of resolution and go to bed but if you find yourself you kind of continuing to go at it you know for all hours on end and you're not getting anywhere i don't think it, you know going to sleep or not i think it's really it's time for a pause you kind of have to create a, a, an ending to that pattern so that you can come back to the conversation in, in a different way or in a more thoughtful way um yes i don't really but i i, I would I wouldn't recommend that. I would recommend only, <laughs> only if it felt like you can get to a, a nice, healthy resolution. But I don't think there should be a cap because sometimes, again, when we're in that reactive mode or are we in like a pattern with our partner, those things tend to escalate. Um, and sometimes people think resolving is just saying like, goodbye, let's just end this and hug. But not everything, you know, not everything is fleshed out enough or maybe you haven't gotten to the real content of whatever you're trying to discuss because there's so much reactivity. So I think everyone has to use it in the way it makes sense, but um, I don't think it's a black or white thing for sure. Yeah, I think so too. And, and it also kind of speaks to the fact that, I mean, since we're talking about sleep here in particular, the more sleep deprived you get, <laughs> the less likely you are to be rational as well. That's so, so true. We need our sleep. <laughs> it's not ideal necessarily to not go to bed angry <laughs> or right, to, to have right. the rule about never going to bed angry. I mean, right. Exactly. I agree. Oh, totally. Well, I, we just, we, because I think we live in a society that's so fast paced and we just expect instantaneous answers to an almost unhealthy degree that it doesn't leave room for the pause. How can we, I think that sometimes we get offended by the pause. Like if, mm. if we can see that somebody reads a text, for example, and doesn't respond right away, if they have got their, their read receipt turned on, how yeah. can we sort of change our thinking around this and not take it so personally? Okay, so you're saying when if someone has a reaction to someone else needing to sort of step out or pause or process, yeah, back. yeah, I feel like I worded that awkwardly, but that's exactly no, right. No, like, <laughs> I get, I think I get what you're saying. I just want to, I want to be clear. <laughs> um, yeah, so I feel like so I think the thing about this is that 
you have to look at what your motive is for a conversation. Are you trying to, you know, kind of dish it out and have someone just show up in that very moment? Or do you want something more thoughtful to happen where maybe you can kind of get to, you know, you know, a nice healthy place with whatever you're trying to discuss. So if you think of what your motive is, I think if someone has a hard time with someone else's pause, it's kind of highlighting their growth area where I like to call kind of building a container. Um, which is really allowing someone to have their space to process and come back to the conversation and you kind of managing all that that comes up with giving that space. And so sometimes I'll have people like, you know, you kind of want to like go out there and, and attack your partner or say a lot of things at once. I'll have people really like do a, a little draft of that where they do it themselves and they'll just, you know, whether it's in their phone or they write it out and kind of get it all out in a little container. And then they sort of wait till their, their, you know, whoever it is that they're trying to have a conversation with come back and kind of, enter the conversation a little bit more thoughtfully. So yeah, I think it just speaks to the other growth area of someone allowing that space to exist. No, that makes a lot of sense because I, it, I feel like whenever, whenever I have felt that way, you know, oh, why isn't so-and-so responding or whatever, it really seems to come from a place of insecurity on my mm -hmm. part. And yeah. if I am not feeling secure and if I am feeling anxious, then I'm projecting that onto the other person and yeah, they, they might be avoiding me on purpose. That's always a possibility, but sure. they also might not be. And you know, maybe they don't have their phone handy, but yet I'm causing myself so much stress for however long. And, and it just, it seems so silly, but, but that's absolutely kind of on me as the person who's getting upset by it. Sure. But the other thing is that depending on the relationship, right? The other person, if, you know, again, if depends what the relationship is, but having someone say it to you, like, I need some, I need a little time to think, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get back to you tonight, or just kind of saying something so that they're, they're letting you know something, but they're, they're also letting you know that they're going to come back to the conversation is also really helpful because sort of just not responding or not, you know, that leaves a lot to the imagination. And I think the more clarity we can get from what, you know, from what the timing is that someone needs or that they're definitely going to come back and have the conversation can relieve some of the anxiety that comes from space. I'm glad you mentioned that actually, that, that is so true because otherwise it could potentially just turn into something like ghosting, which right, is exactly. fair yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. So it definitely needs to, to, especially if you, if you have an actual, you know, connection or relationship or friendship with this person, then there's still two of you in that. So there, there needs to be some communication, even if they're saying like what you said, you know, I just need to kind of step back for a minute. Let me get back to you. <laughs> right, right. Or and, and and even sometimes giving it a time frame because you don't want. What does that mean? In a month they're going to come back to you? No, you know, like how about you know this day we'll 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 talk. You know, and so it's kind of just giving you a little bit of like an understanding that the conversation or whatever you're trying to talk about will happen. It's just going to happen at a time where both people can show up in the right way, and that feels different than sort of not getting anything from the person. So when I work with couples specifically, I have both people on those ends work on each of those areas to kind of create a little bit more safety around some space. Well, that's to me a boundaries issue too, because if, if someone is coming to us with a problem, let's say, but we are super overwhelmed, we had like a, a really crazy stressful day, or there's a lot happening for our, for us in our own lives right now. And we don't feel like we can show up for that friend. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's also a good time to practice the pause because otherwise you're going to end up feeling resentful or you might not be able to show up for that friend the way you yeah. need to, right? I feel like yeah. that all ties in. Absolutely. I mean, I, I try to practice that too. I have, um, I have a two-year-old at home and sometimes my brain is 
not fully able to like answer a friend who's going through something and not, but I, but I care. And what I'll say in those moments are, you know, or something along the lines of like, I really want to hear you, but I need, I want to give you my full attention. And at this moment I can't, I will text you back when I can, because I think it's just showing like, I care about what you're saying. This is valid, but I'm not going to give you some quick, you know, little response. And I also can't, you know, neglect what's happening around me to, to enter into this conversation. So it's kind of, yeah, there's, it's finding some ground to make people feel cared for, um, but also just honoring where you are too. There's some sort of middle ground there. That's a really beautiful way of showing love, I think, is, you know, love for yourself and love for the other person because you don't want to half-ass it with them. So right. you want to be able to show up for them fully and you're like, okay, you know, let me, let me calm down, chill, get a good night's sleep and like, we'll talk tomorrow. <laughs> yes. When I have the, the, like the mental energy to do it or the time or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so true. Well, and that actually kind of leads me into something else that I've heard you talk about, which is comparative pain. And I, I've had so many thoughts on this in, uh, in the last few months. I've, I've had a lot going on in my personal life. And one of my best friends a couple of times has come to me with a problem and then prefaced it with, I know this is nothing compared to what you're dealing with, but, <laughs> yeah. and it just makes me super uncomfortable because I always remind her that we all have our own shed and it's not better or worse per se. It's just different. So what yeah. is like comparative pain and how can we kind of handle that or potentially change our thoughts around it? Yeah, I, I think it comes from a good place or a well-intentioned place of, of the idea that if you have something going on, somebody always has it worse. And in some way that's supposed to make someone feel better or validate them more, you know, depending on what the circumstances. But I find it to be usually unhelpful unless it's something super light, like you're stressing about a bad haircut. You know, maybe you could put that in perspective and that feels different. But when it's real pain, you know, like if you lose a pet versus a, a parent or, you know, whatever it is, like pain is pain, you know, and, and I think once we start to compare whether we're doing it ourselves or someone else is doing it, it really invalidates the experience of, of someone in their unique situation. And I, I just think it's important to, to throw it out there and have people know that like, you know, sometimes people can feel really depressed about, again, like losing a pet that can feel like a child. And they might think that it's silly, but it feels equally as painful as someone who just went through something else that, you know, from the outside, we might want to compare, but really the pain feels very similar. So it's, I just think it gets a little, you know, it gets, it just invalidates. And I think it's important for us to know that when pain is pain, suffering is suffering. And, and once, you know, we, you feel that, you realize that someone else's experiences and, and how they get there is just equally as valid. And I do think it comes from a good place, but I, I don't think it, it lands in a good place all the time. Um, I also just think in general, it's hard to, to deal with people we care about and what, what people say when people are in pain or struggling. You know, I think sometimes it's hard to just even go there. So there's different ways of trying to get people to feel better or compare, but really people just want, want to feel heard and seen with where they are and their experience and their emotions and realize that, that that's valid. I, I love so much of what you just said. I mean, it's, I, I do think that it comes from such a good place. Like you said about, you know, how someone always has it worse, which it's sort of like this combination of being a martyr slash gratitude for what they do have, I guess. It, it, yeah. It's so interesting how it sort of is like this weird combination, but everyone does experience things differently. And, and there isn't, you know, some black and white sliding scale that we can place pain on emotional right. pain and determine right. where it falls. 
yep, I think that's exactly it. And I think it becomes a little bit dangerous when we think that we can or that we think something is more valid than something, you know, someone else's experience, because then really we're just disconnecting from people being unique and having their own, you know, emotional experiences with their life experience. So, yeah. But I, yeah, I think that the place it comes from is that whole perspective of trying to make someone, I think, feel better. But I don't, I don't think it really lands that way. I, I feel like that's very common with, um, with something like grief in particular. I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with yes. Megan, uh, Megan Devine's work. I think it's, it, her book is okay. If, it, it's okay if you're not okay, I think. Yes. And, oh, oh my gosh, it's, it's totally game-changing because it, it just gives such a unique perspective on grief and really highlights the fact that we as a society do not know how to deal with not only our own grief, but other people's grief. We're even worse at dealing with other people's grief than we are with our own, it seems like. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's like we don't know how to show up or what to say or what to do. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of it does come down to just making people feel seen and heard, like you said. And you don't have to try and reassure them or tell them that, you know, uh, you're, you're better off or it happened for a reason or something like that, no matter what the situation, that it's more just about like kind of I'm, I'm here for you or something like that. Like what would you suggest for people or some of the best ways to kind of deal with those types of situations to make someone just feel seen and heard without kind of encroaching on their experience? Let's put it that way. Yeah. It's almost like you want to, in some ways, honor the pain because it's coming from somewhere. It's usually coming from a place of love. I'm assuming in grief, not always, but a lot of the times. So I, I think it's more about just being able to, to show up and say, you know, like I'm here or even just sitting with someone if they're upset or even not, you know, just kind of just being there and, and, and not feeling like you have to have to say something or have an opinion or try to silver line it or whatever it is that you want to do to someone's pain. Because in those moments it's, it's very raw and, and then everyone's roller coaster of grief is different. So it's just kind of being, being there and, and making sure that person knows that you're around and not always even asking, but just like just showing up in the ways that you think would be helpful for that unique individual. Um, showing up, you know, saying hi, flowers, saying, you know, just something where you know that you're around, um, even to hear some of the deep, dark stuff, but that you don't always have to have an opinion about it or, or say like, oh, I know I can see what you're saying, or I feel the same way. Generally, that doesn't feel very comforting to people because we, we want to believe, and, and I think it's true that our pain is, is unique to our own experience, and we want to just feel like it's honored. Um, so in, in whatever way we can kind of do that, I think, is, is the most helpful. Well, and that's a really great point, too. That's like another whole perspective of the idea of comparative pain, that sometimes when we're in pain, someone else will try and tell us that they feel the same way or that, or that yeah. they have felt the same way, and that doesn't feel good. I, I don't know anyone who is appreciative of that, even though like it's coming from a good place, which is the sad part. <laughs> right. Right. I think all this, a lot of this is, um, and again, I just, it speaks to people not really knowing what to do or say when someone's in pain, you know, it's a hard place for all of us. It is, it is, it's really tough. And, and yeah, I just feel like we're, we're so ill-equipped, but hopefully that, that can start to shift as people learn a little bit more about how to handle these types of situations and, yeah, just, you know, things like practicing the pause like before you come out and like say something that it will, will try and be a comparison or something like that. Maybe, maybe that's a good time to practice the pause and then reassess what would be the best, uh, the best course of action in the, in that particular moment. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think it is. And just kind of validating that 
that someone's experience is shitty or, or painful or whatever you want to say, like whatever just validates someone with where they are without having to morph it, change it, right? It's just kind of being someone with where they are is very powerful. And in order to do that, we have to be in touch with our own emotions, which is what I think is so hard about stepping into sadness is that, or grief is that we're, we're kind of having to step a little bit into our own to be empathetic and to show up for someone. And that's, that's hard to do, um, which is why I think many people struggle with knowing what to do or how to do it. But um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a skill set we're all kind of learning and trying to fine tune. Yeah. And I, I'm hopeful that it, it feels like people are getting better because people are becoming, I think, more emotionally aware and kind of readjusting some of some of their beliefs. I'm, I'm speaking in generalizations, of course, this doesn't apply to everyone, but I, I feel, yeah. I don't know, like, how, how do you feel about that? Because you're the one seeing people every day and kind of helping them work through a lot of, a lot of these types of issues. In terms of seeing like how people are dealing with their own grief or how they kind of meet with, with, for other people. And it could be either way, I guess. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting because I don't know, you know, I'm often with people in their grief versus sort of, well, sometimes dealing with others, trying to manage other people's as well. But I, I just try to create a really safe, warm environment to just feel stuff. Because that, that, that's what kind of what you were saying in the beginning too, is just how hard it is to just feel things, even on a physical level in our bodies and just to kind of sit with things and have it be okay without someone trying to move quickly through it or make it feel better. Um, so I kind of think what, what I try to do with people is just teach them how, how to be in it. And I try to be in it with them. And I think that's a skill set because again, when I see someone in some deep pain that I might have a different experience, but I probably have felt pain. I know what pain feels like. And, and I unfortunately have been through situations where I lost people. So I know what that pain is. And it might not be the same, but when I'm in touch with theirs, I'm a little bit in touch with my own. And just being able to, to create some space for that, I think is a really helpful thing because it's modeling that for, for people to create space for themselves and their own emotions. And obviously I think that extends to other people as well when we're able to do it within ourselves. Well, and that speaks to compassion too and empathy as well, yeah. because like it doesn't have to be a comparison so much as when we've had those own experiences ourselves, which all of us have had, you know, pain of some kind or another, it, it really helps to cultivate that compassion and that, that sense of, you know, really feeling for someone else who's having to deal with that as well, because we know how much that hurts ourselves. So it doesn't have to be a comparison, but it really helps right. to kind of create that, that environment within us where we can, we can feel that empathy for somebody else. Yes. And people, I think, can feel that from the other person. Like, the, you know, do you ever see that little cartoon? Um, I think someone made it from Brene Brown's skit between sympathy versus empathy. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> it picks out to me, right? Because that feels so different where it's like that space of like, there's distance, but like, I'm so sorry for you versus like, I'm here with you. And this is hard. You know, like those are two different experiences. And, and definitely one speaks to, to empathy and kind of sitting with someone in their stuff another, another great time to practice the pause. <laughs> if, it is. if you're going to come you out the pause to... is very helpful. <laughs> yes. associated with everything. Like we need to stop. We need stop signs all day long, I think, to really kind of check in. <laughs> I love it. No, it's so funny. I wasn't even like planning on this, but it just keeps coming full circle because like there's so many times we're practicing that pause is so important and can make such a difference in not only our own lives, but somebody else's life that we're trying to help feel better too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And it just has us kind of come around to a more 
generally a more aware and thoughtful place of how we want to approach things. I even have people too, because I, I find that people sometimes don't recognize that things are in a, in a place of struggle until it's like really in a tough place. And I think when we think of pause, just checking in with ourselves, even in general, even when we think, you know, things are okay. And we just need to see like, how am I doing? What's going on? Like, how, you know, it's like that, that stopping point to just checking in before it has to get to a place where we're completely burned out or we're really, you know, exhausted or we get sick because our bodies just have had enough or whatever it is. Like just kind of making sure we're checking in with ourselves is, is so important. So the pause can also come at times where we're just like trying to maintain and can be more of like a maintenance thing. Well, and, and on the topic of empathy versus sympathy as well, let's, let's dig into that a little bit because I think that a lot of times, I don't know if this is just because I'm Canadian or what, we've, we've always stereotypically been known for saying sorry for everything. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, it will, it will be instinctual, you know, if somebody tells them that something uh, awful has happened in their life, I, sometimes I feel like the first instinct is to say, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And but there, there can be a different type of approach if we're trying to come at it from a more empathetic view as opposed to a more sympathetic view. So what does, what does that look like? If somebody, somebody's coming to you with you know, a huge amount of pain, they're having a really tough time, uh, what, what do those two different approaches look like and how do they play out? I think that what's interesting is because the way that you just said it to me felt, felt like more empathy. So I think it's also, it, it can be wording. Absolutely. I also just think it's the way, right. And I think it's, it's saying like, I'm so sorry that this is happening. It feels, feels like I'm stepping into, you know, where you are and like, Oh, like, I'm so sorry. Like this is really hard versus like kind of standing out a little bit on the outskirts and being like, wow, I'm so sorry. This must be so painful. And like, obviously I had, there's a little bit more of like a condescending tone or whatever you want to call it but there's there's space there in the tone of my voice right where I'm like either in with you or I'm kind of on the outside poking in and saying how sorry I feel for you which feels a lot more like like that pity face or that you know that's what sympathy sort of sometimes feels like where you feel like a little bit more alone whereas like almost the first way that you had said it is like I'm, I'm here with you in this and this is hard so again it, it could be wording and sometimes I'm sorry in general makes people feel like a little bit alone or isolated because they're going through something hard. But I do think it's even more just about the way we're going about the wording and the tone around it and, and the difference between someone feeling if they've, if we kind of stepped in versus kind of from the outside poking and saying, we're, we're so sorry. Does that make sense? No, it absolutely does. No. And, and you're so, you're so right too about tone of voice and stuff, because you can, you can hear it in somebody's voice where it does come across as borderline condescending or something like that. And, and right. oftentimes it's probably not even intentional. It just, but, but it's the way they can say it that like you said, it can feel isolating. It can almost put up more of a barrier between you and that other person than if they'd said nothing at all. Yes. Yes. So I think it, it's, it's more the feeling around what's being said, even necessarily the wording. Um, but, you know, and, and I think it's, that's, that's sort of, is the difference, which I think is hard to kind of, I think if we had wording, it would probably feel easier to point to, but I do think it, it is more of just kind of like that this feels really hard. And I feel like even when I say that and I'm thinking of someone, like I could feel, I could feel like, oh, this is like, this is hard. This is awful. This is painful. Whatever, whatever it is, like we're in this, I'm in this with you and I feel, I, I get it versus sort of coming out of it and, and poking in, you know, I feel like that's such a different feel of just like, so sorry, poor, poor, what was the, the wording, which 
it's like you poor thing or something like that feels so different. It feels very like, you know, you're kind of just there by yourself in the corner and you're, you know, poor you. So yeah, I think there's just like a, a tone and a feeling to the way we say things. That's, I, I feel like, yeah, exactly. I, I feel like, I feel like when Brene explained it in one of her books, she put like some Southern spin on it because she's, she's from Texas. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> I know it was like, bless your heart, I think. Or something, something like, like yes. Yeah. Like, Oh, bless your heart. Or something. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. It's so it's funny. Like a little, it's, it's kind of a way to someone to be like, okay, this is painful, but like, I need to be a little bit away from this pain for a little much. So let me say something short and sweet to kind of remove myself. Right. There's a feeling there that's so different. Yes. No, absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I also actually wanted to ask you about as well, and I feel like this does tie in to some degree, is the whole idea of examining what you tolerate. And I think that this also is a lot of, involves a lot of introspective work, um, but it's hard to see what you're experiencing and what, what you're tolerating when you're in it. And other people can maybe see better, and especially someone like you, who is an actual therapist and, you know, kind of the more unbiased party, you can get a better view. But when you're in it, you don't necessarily think that you are tolerating so much as just living your life, right? <laughs> so how right. do we start to figure that out a little bit to see if we're tolerating things that if we had more of an outside perspective, we might go, Ooh, that isn't really what I want in my life. That's a great question. I think it's, it's, you know, what's interesting is I think First of all, we, we all, you know, have automatic functioning from our families and things, you know, all sort of dysfunctional things that follow us into, you know, our adult lives. And sometimes like, for instance, the, the big topic of like boundaries, whatever we grew up in, in terms of boundaries, we tend to replicate until we realize like, wait a minute, we need to work on this area. So I think what's, what's fascinating is when people come in usually to talk about feeling anxious or triggered or whatever it is that they want to speak about a lot of this tends to be about areas of growth that highlight things that they're tolerating that actually don't really align with them or don't feel good. And, and again, I'll use boundaries as a good example because it's a big one where they realize that they're actually, they, they're letting people cross their boundaries. They don't put those into, they don't put that into words quite yet because that's not the, the realization. But when they feel anxious because of a situation and what I'll put pinpoint out is that sounds sort of like a boundary. And then I'll have someone examine if it is or if it isn't. And if they go, you know what? Yeah, I never really thought it was, but it is. And that's why I feel anxious every time this happens. And then we just start to look at and play with the idea of kind of listening to your anxiety and or, or anger or whatever it is that you're feeling and trying to try and understand it and wrap our heads around certain things that we need to learn from it in order to start making more clearer places of, of the things that we tolerate and what we're tolerating from people and maybe things that we no longer want to or or think that you know or whatever it is right we, we kind of start to create a little like um understanding more of ourselves because it's all innate it's just that we don't always know it we don't always know that things connect or make sense or mean this or that so i try to kind of give explanations around those things and let people find their own way as to what you know what makes sense for them i love how you explained this because this is something that I have gone through as well is that I didn't really realize certain things and, and behaviors that I was tolerating per se until right. I started pinpointing my anxiety and then yes. realizing that boundaries were being crossed and that's why the anxiety was coming up. 
And then I was starting to figure out that I was tolerating a lot more than I should. <laughs> so what a right. great example. Right. That's yeah, it all ties in. It's so fascinating. It does. And our bodies really have a way of letting us know. It's just, we don't always know what things mean. And sometimes we feel things and we just don't want to feel them. But really our bodies really do let us know like, Hey, this doesn't feel good. Or, you know, this, this isn't actually working for us. And the more that we tune in, we go back to the pause <laughs> yeah, but the more <laughs> tune in and figure out like what are, what's going on for us. The more that we can kind of set forth, like what, what, what are we tolerating? Do we want to tolerate this? And if we do let it become more of a choice so that, you know, we're, we're deciding it versus just assuming we have to. And cause that feels very different as well. So yeah. Oh, it kind yes. Of, right. No, that's that's so different. empowering. Yeah. Yeah. That's way more empowering that as opposed to just, Oh, this is happening to me as opposed to I'm choosing for this to occur. Yes. And I, I work with many people who realize their anxiety is about, you know, in a relationship because this is happening, but they're not there or don't even want to address it. They just want to realize, oh, that's what's happening. But they're, they might not want to change it, but it's different when you feel like you're choosing that and now you know why and if you have anxiety from it, it all makes sense versus just having anxiety and not knowing where it's coming from or that you even have any options. So there's, there's a lot of room there just to kind of learn and figure out, you know, again, what, what you want to tolerate and what you don't and, and making sense of it. Oh my gosh. This has just been so enlightening and you have just explained things in such a beautiful way. I think people are going to get so much out of this. I know I definitely have. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thank you. I'm, I'm so happy. That's oh, this is so good. Tori, I want to make sure that everyone can find and connect with you and follow your amazing Instagram page and all of the things and, and maybe even come see you in person if, if they're local to you. That would be awesome too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So let us know where, where everybody can find you. So I'm on Instagram, NY Therapist. And when you kind of go there, you can get a sense of me more. And then if you want to work with me, there's a little, the link sort of in there too. So you can click on that. And do you do virtual sessions as well? I do. I do virtual sessions. Um, it just has to be, it's more of a coaching way. So there has to be some work done already where we can kind of go in and I could guide you through certain things. But I do virtual sessions. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, good. So that's good to know. So for anyone who wants to work with Tori and you are not local to New York state, you are still good to go. <laughs> yeah, good to go. I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. I have one final question for you. And that is if you could offer people one single piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? My best piece of advice would be to be gentle and kind towards yourself. Awesome. And that really the reason why I say that is because I think that's a big barrier to people doing some real honest reflective work. Um, it's hard to, you know, it's very hard to see ourselves and certain things about us, but when we're able to be a little soft and gentle and forgiving and understanding, we can see a lot more and there's a lot of, of power in that combination. So that would be my biggest uh, suggestion. Oh, I just love the answers that I get to that question. I, I just get like the best answers all the time. They keep getting better and better with every guest. So good. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my gosh, Tori, thank you so much. I just really appreciate you. I appreciate your time and I appreciate everything that you are putting out into the world because I think thank it's just Thank you. Magic. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks guys. Thank oh, you. good. Thank you. That episode was just packed full of goodies. So I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. 
please go check out Tori, check out everything that she has to offer. And I really, really do recommend her Instagram account in particular. It's just a fantastic resource and she's got so many great things over there as well. Don't forget about your podcasting guide to be a better guest. It's basically your guide to podcast badassery and who wouldn't want that? <laughs> so all the things can be found over at roomtogrowpodcast.com and please share this on social media or share it with someone who you think really needs to hear it. Uh, make sure to tag me. I'm over at Emily Goff Coach and I would absolutely love to hear from you and to hear what your biggest takeaways were from this episode. 